Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing a case that was recently solved just under a year ago. So with that all being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, Faith Hedgepeth was born on September 26, 1992 to her parents, Connie and Ronald Hedgepeth in Warren County, North Carolina. Now, Faith actually grew up as a member of the Haliwasaponi Native American tribe, and Warren County is included in the tribe's traditional territory. Now, the tribe itself consists of about 4,000 people that live all over the world. However, most of the members live in a very tight-knit communities in North Carolina. Now, Faith was the youngest of four siblings. She has two older brothers named Chadwick and Caleb, as well as an older sister named Rolanda. Now, Rolanda was actually 18 years old when Faith was born. So because of that, not only did she act as the older sister to Faith, but she definitely had a maternal role in Faith's life as well. Now, very shortly after Faith was born, Connie and Ronald ended up divorcing and he moved out of the house and relocated to a town called Hickory in North Carolina. However, regardless of this transition and this change, Faith and her father remained in contact and they were always very, very close. Now, when it came to time to start thinking about college, Faith always had her eye at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Now, Ronald had actually gone to Chapel Hill, however, he dropped out, but the idea of following in his footsteps always seemed very appealing to Faith. Chapel Hill is a hard school to get into, however, Faith had amazing grades in high school and participated in a lot of extracurricular activities, and she actually ended up earning a scholarship. The scholarship was called the Gates Millennium Scholarship, and she got that to attend Chapel Hill. Now, Faith had aspired to be a doctor, more specifically a pediatrician, and she was thrilled to be able to accomplish those dreams at Chapel Hill, and she was also thrilled to be the first person who was ever planning on graduating college in her family. Now, in the beginning of her experience at Chapel Hill, everything was going very smoothly. She was excelling in all of her classes. She had a great social life. However, in the spring of 2012, she did decide to take that semester off. However, regardless of stepping back academically, she still did continue to live in the Chapel Hill area. She lived at an off-campus apartment at the time, and the complex was called Hawthorne at the View. Now, the complex was located between Chapel Hill and Durham, which is another city in North Carolina. Now, the apartment that Faith was living in, she actually shared with her roommate and friend, Karina Rosario. Now, Karina and Faith had met during their freshman year of college, so they had known each other for about two years at this point, and they were pretty close friends. Obviously, they were roommates, they went and did social activities together. Now, while they were living together, Karina also had a boyfriend, and this boyfriend is named Eric Tekoy 
Jones. Now, at the time, Eric was an aspiring rapper, and for a period of time, he actually lived in the apartment with both of the girls. He did have his own place, and it wasn't too far from where the girls lived. However, with dating Karina, it just so happened that he was spending way more time, if not all of his time, at that apartment rather than his own. However, the relationship between Karina and Eric was not always the best. There was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of arguing, and there was a lot of domestic violence. And so because of that, Faith actually drove Karina to the courthouse. That way, Karina could file a protective order that would require Eric to stay away from their apartment. Now, even though it was Karina who was filing this protective order, Eric took a lot of that blame out onto Faith. He really resented Faith for driving Karina and felt like Faith was really putting a wedge in between him and Karina's relationship. And so again, because of that, he grew a lot of resentment towards Faith. Now, there were never any charges pressed against Eric because A, Karina didn't want to file any charges and B, there was just not enough physical evidence to charge him with. However, the protective order was in place, so he was required to not go anywhere near that apartment. So as far as all things considered, that was really Faith's life. She had, again, a great social life. She went back to school in the fall of 2012 after taking that spring semester off, and everything seemed to be going smoothly. And that leads us to September 6th of 2012. Now, this was a Thursday, and it also was about two weeks before Faith's 20th birthday. However, unfortunately, she would never live to see it. Now, Faith's night began at around 5.45 p.m. when she was attending a rush event for the sorority Alpha Pi Omega. Now, if you've ever been through a sorority rush week, you know that it is absolutely craziness and so hectic, and your life ends up revolving around rush week for that particular week. So Faith arrived at this event at about 5.45 p.m. and stayed until about 7.15 p.m. Now at that time, she had to leave the event to go to the library because she told her friends she needed to write a history paper. So she leaves the event and goes to the Davis Library, which is located on the Chapel Hill campus. And that is where she met Karina and the two of them just studied together and did their work in the library up until about 11.30 p.m. that night. While they were at the library, Faith was also texting her father, Ronald, and telling him about the rush week and the sorority and all of that and how she was really excited and hopeful to be able to get a spot into this sorority. And according to Ronald, everything seemed fine. Faith was not acting unusual or acted like anything was wrong whatsoever. And then again, like I said, at around 11.30, the two of them, Karina and Faith, had left the library to walk back home to their apartment. Now, they got back to their apartment around midnight. However, when they got there, they decided that they did not want their night to end. So the two of them decided to go to a club near campus. Now, the club is now closed. However, it was called The Thrill. And allegedly, this club was well known for letting people under 21 in to drink and to dance. And it was kind of the go-to spot for college kids who were under the age of 21. So that is where the night took them. The two of them got ready and headed to Thrill at around 12.40 a.m. So now we're moving in to the very early morning hours and they stayed there for about an hour and a half. 
Now, after about an hour and a half, Karina started to feel a little sick, and she told Faith that she was not feeling well, and the two of them decided it would be best if they went home. So at 2.06 a.m., the security cameras from Thrill capture Karina and Faith leaving the club and walking in the direction of their apartment. Now, they got back to their apartment around 3 a.m., so it was quite the walk. However, based on records, police were able to tell that around that time, Faith also got on to her Facebook account for a little bit. So she was on Facebook just messing around. Then at about 3.40 a.m., Faith sent a text message, and this text message went to a guy named Brandon Edwards. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, it is believed that Brandon is allegedly a former boyfriend of Karina. However, again, he's really not very prominent in this case whatsoever. All we know is that Faith did send him a text that morning saying, quote, Hey, B, can you come over here, please? Rosario needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care. Unquote. Now, this was the last evidence of phone activity coming from Faith's phone, and at 4.16 a.m., Brandon sent a text back to Faith asking, basically, who is this? So he had no idea that it was Faith texting him at all, but Faith was never able to respond to him. Karina's phone records show that she was also trying to get in touch with Brandon around the same time. However, he did not answer. Now, from what it seems, Karina was definitely not looking to end her night when the two of them got back to their apartment because after Brandon wasn't answering, Karina then decided to call a Chapel Hill soccer player named Jordan McCrary. Now, Jordan did end up picking up and he went over to Karina's apartment to pick her up around 4.25 a.m. And then Karina got in his car and the two of them drove off, leaving Faith at the apartment. Now, when Karina left, it is assumed that Faith had already gone to sleep at that point. However, when Karina left, she forgot to lock the door on her way out. Now, the reason that this was a problem at all is because where Karina and Faith lived, their apartments were accessible to anyone from the outside. So the building was not one where, you know, you walk in and it's one big building with all of the apartments inside. This was the type where if the doors were unlocked, anyone could get in. Now, when Karina and Jordan arrived at their destination after Jordan picked her up, Karina said the two of them got there at about 4.30 a.m. and Karina ended up staying until about 10.30 a.m. Around 10.30, Karina said she tried to call Faith multiple times to see if Faith would be willing to drive over and pick her up. However, she never got a response. 
Now, after several failed attempts, Karina reached out to another friend of hers named Marisol, and she asked Marisol if she would come and pick her up, to which Marisol agreed to do. Now, Karina and Marisol got back to the apartment at around 11 a.m., and Marisol ended up walking in with Karina. Now, when the two of them walked into the apartment, Karina started calling out for Faith's name. However, again, was not getting a response. This was odd because Karina saw Faith's car still parked out in the parking lot. So she decided to go up to Karina's door and walk into her room. And when she did that, that is when she saw Faith's body wrapped up in a quilt, partially undressed and blood everywhere. Now, at the time, the girls didn't really know what was going on. They didn't know what state Faith was in. However, they knew that she was unresponsive. So in this frantic terror, Karina and Marisol call 911 right away at 11.01 a.m. Now, when first responders arrived to the apartment, they immediately assessed Karina. However, they pronounced her dead at the scene. When they arrived, they found Faith's body hanging off the bed over a pool of blood with her shirt pulled up over her head and she had no clothes on from the waist down. There was blood spatter on her closet in her room and on the center of the bed, there was actually a white paper bag. It looked similar to a bag that you would get if you were getting takeout at a restaurant. However, what was important was what was on the bag. On the bag, there was a note written with the words, quote, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. Now, once an investigation was started and the autopsy was completed, it was determined that Faith's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, and it was assumed that she was hit over the head with an empty alcohol bottle. It was also stated that there were contusions found in the posterior right upper arm, the knuckle of her left index finger, the knuckles of her right index and middle finger, her posterior right hand, blunt force trauma of her bilateral knees, and abrasions on her left knee. Now, along with that, the medical examiner was able to collect semen from Faith's body and use it to develop a DNA profile of the killer. Now, they ran the DNA through their system, however, they were not getting any hit as to who it could have belonged to. Now, the DNA was not only found on Faith's body, it was also found in other areas of the apartment, such as that alcohol bottle, as well as, obviously, the paper bag. Now, something odd about the autopsy results and how this was all conducted was that Faith's family actually wasn't given the results of the autopsy until two years after Faith's death. Now remember, Faith's case has only been recently solved, so there really hasn't been any explanation as to why her family was not given access to those answers. And obviously, as you can imagine, this made them extremely upset. Now, police collected many items from Faith's apartment, and this included obviously her bedding, the alcohol bottle, the remote control to the TV, her cell phone, the clothes that she was wearing, pens and note cards that she had in her room, as well as the keys to her apartment, her wallet, and some paperwork found in her bedroom as well. 
Now, from the beginning, it did not take police very long to look at Karina's ex-boyfriend, Eric, as a possible suspect. He really did have the motive. He, like I said earlier, was angry at the fact that Faith took Karina to get the protective order and felt like Faith was putting a wedge in between him and Karina's relationship. However, contrary to all of that, after Faith's murder, Eric only had wonderful things to say about Faith, surprisingly enough. In an interview that he did with police, he described Faith as, quote, the sweetest person in the world. If you needed her and she could do it, she was there, end quote. Now, along with that, Eric also had some very strange social media activity the night before Faith's death, as well as the day of Faith's death. He wrote things on social media like, Dear Lord, forgive me from all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. Along with that, on Thursday, September 6th, at about 6 p.m., so this was just hours before Faith's murder, he texted one of his friends asking for forgiveness. He asked for forgiveness for, quote-unquote, what I'm about to do. And he also went ahead and put the same quote on his Twitter. Now, at first, when police saw this, they thought, case closed, pretty simple. He obviously has some guilt. He definitely has the motive. However, to everyone's surprise, Eric was not only very cooperative, however, when he gave police his DNA, it was not a match to the DNA found in the apartment. So even though it didn't look great for Eric, he then was excluded from being a suspect. Now, after Eric was ruled out as a potential suspect, police then went to the thrill and looked through all the surveillance footage from that night and tracked down some of the people that were seen talking to both Karina and Faith that night. However, after getting DNA from those people as well, it came back that it was not a match. So again, police were sent back to the drawing board. And after Faith's death, the Chapel Hill Board of Trustees, as well as Faith's tribe and the management at the apartment complex that she lived at, came together and raised $29,000 in reward for any information that would lead to an arrest. Now, when it came to Faith's family, they had a lot of doubt about this investigation, and for good reason. Like I said earlier, Faith's family was not aware of the results of the autopsy until two years after Faith's death. Along with that, they had no idea about the paper bag with the note written on it until two years later as well. So for a good two years after Faith's death, they were missing two very key pieces to this investigation. Now, they also had a lot of doubts when it came to Karina and they just didn't necessarily believe that she was being a hundred percent truthful they thought that the 911 call that karina made was very suspicious and the reason for that was because when karina was on the 911 call she made it seem as if she was alone and that her friend marisol was not with her there were times where the operator would say i don't want you to be alone so i'm going to stay on the phone with you and karina didn't say you know i'm not alone my friend is here and so for faith's family that was questionable 
Now, along with that, Faith and Karina's neighbor said that shortly after Faith's body was discovered, she actually ran in to both Karina and Marisol. And according to her, both girls were acting very, very suspicious considering the circumstances. Now, the neighbor said that Marisol seemed a little teared up. However, Karina was not showing any emotion at all and said that Karina was just texting and not acting as if she had just walked in on her dead roommate. Now, I want to talk about this note for a moment. Now, this note was, like I said, written on a paper bag. It was written in big letters, not neatly at all, and looked more like it was just scribbled on there. Now, there was a forensic handwriting expert that looked at the note, and she determined that the note looked exceptionally clean, which did not match with how bloody the crime scene was. There was blood everywhere in Faith's room, and it seemed very bizarre how this specific paper bag had not one drop of blood on it. And so because of that, it led this expert to believe that this note was either written outside of the room and then placed there, or it was written outside of the apartment and then placed there after the murder. Along with that, the expert determined that whoever wrote the note wrote it with their non-dominant hand. So if they were right-handed, they wrote it with their left hand and vice versa. And it is believed that they did that to basically throw police off. Now, I do want to mention a very big point of contention in this case, and that is the voicemail. The voicemail that I'm talking about is a voicemail that Faith had actually left one of her friends on the early morning hours of the 7th. So just hours before her death. And this voicemail is believed to have been the result of a pocket dial. So it's believed that Faith did not mean to call this particular friend. Now, when a lot of people heard this voicemail, they believed that it was the recording of Faith's final moments. They thought that Faith had pocket dialed one of her friends and had recorded a voicemail of her murder. And as you can imagine, this drew a frenzy around this voicemail. However, when police revealed the timestamp of this voicemail, the voicemail was from 1.23 a.m. Now remember, Karina and Faith did not leave the thrill until 2.06 a.m. So revealing this timestamp was police's way of telling the public that this was obviously a pocket dial that is not related to the murder, therefore it has no connection to the case and everyone can just kind of calm down about this voicemail however in 2016 there was an expert who looked at the voicemail and was certain that the voicemail was the final moments of faith's life the expert was certain that there were two males and at least one other female heard in the voicemail and he said that from this voicemail you can hear the other female come off as very angry and if you've never heard of the voicemail at all it is really hard to make out anything that is being said because there is loud music playing in the background everything is really muffled however this expert who is an actual expert in pocket dials for murders which I wasn't even aware it was a thing, period. However, it is. And that was the man who looked at this voicemail. And he said from this voicemail, he was able to detect the other female, so not Faith, saying things like, I'm pissed. I'm going to kick your face, bitch. I figured out that bullshit. You're a liar. 
Now you might be thinking, well, the timestamp. There's a timestamp, it's 1.26 a.m. They didn't leave the club until 2.06. However, this expert is convinced that the timestamp is wrong. He said that he looked into the brand of phones that Faith and the friend who received the voicemail had, and both had issues with correctly timestamping. And so he still believes wholeheartedly that the timestamp is wrong. So again, it's two very different perspectives. It's been a big point of contention. I will let you be the judge of it. If you wanna go look up the voicemail, you will be able to find it. But again, lots of differing opinions on this voicemail, but the timestamp that we do have does say 1.26 a.m. So for years, this case went unsolved and there were a lot of people pointing fingers at the police in this case because the public didn't understand several things. First off, again, I keep mentioning this, but why the family did not get the autopsy results for two years. It also took them four years to hear the voicemail, the pocket dial voicemail, regardless of when it was timestamped. They didn't hear it for four years. They didn't know about the note for two years. And along with that, neighbors of Faith and Karina say that they were never questioned by police. Police did not really go knocking door to door asking, did you see anything? Did you hear anything? There was also a wooded area behind the complex that police did not search. So it made a lot of people think that the police were slacking off in this case, and it made some people wonder why, thinking, you know, is this a police cover-up? Is that why it's taking so long to solve? And they're not really doing what you would think is the proper steps to solve it. However, when it came to theories, police did have a theory, and their theory was that Faith's murder was a crime of opportunity. However, they did think that it was more than likely committed by someone that she knew. Now, when we're talking about crime of opportunity, we're talking about something that was not planned, it was not premeditated, it just happened in the moment. However, again, police believed that Faith's killer was someone that she had crossed paths with before. Now, all in all, police interviewed about 2,000 people and did DNA tests on 750 of those people. So they certainly were not, you know, just slacking off. That was a lot of people to interview and that is a lot of DNA to run through the system. However, they were not getting a single hit. However, around 2017, believe it or not, they were able to eliminate their suspect pool to be around 10 people. So they went from 2,000 people to 10. And along with that, they then made a statement in 2017 and said that they were not 100% certain that Faiths only had one killer. And after they made that statement, they continued with their interviews. However, they continued to get shot down time and time and time again. But then something happened. So after nine years and nine days of an unsolved investigation, authorities finally got a DNA hit. Now authorities were able to use DNA ancestry technology using the DNA found in Faith's rape kit, as well as the bottle that was used to hit her over the head 
and the white takeout bag. So this DNA matched every single item. Now through this technology, police were able to identify the suspect's distant family members who gave samples of their DNA and in turn helped police narrow down their search. But how did they get their suspect's DNA? Well, that is because one month prior to his arrest, this man actually got arrested for a DUI. And once he got arrested for that DUI, his DNA had to then be put into the system. Now, the hit on the DNA came back as belonging to a man named Miguel Enrique Salguero Olivares. And on September 16th, 2021, the Chapel Hill Police Department arrested him. At the time of his arrest, Miguel was 28 years old, making him 19 years old at the time of Faith's murder. Now, there really isn't that much that we know about Miguel. However, from what we do know, he came over from Guatemala when he was a teenager in 2010 and spoke very little English. So that was just two years before Faith's murder. He did work as a painter around the time of the murder and got a DWI charge in North Carolina in 2014. However, his DNA did not have to be put into the system at that point. Now, at the time of his arrest, Miguel did live with his mother, who to this day has stood by her son and said that she does not believe that Miguel is responsible for this. She said that Miguel claims that he does not know Faith and that he has never met her and she believes him. Now, Miguel did make his first court appearance on September 17th of 2021, and he was held without bond for a first-degree murder charge. However, there really hasn't been any development in the case thus far or since then, because I'm sure a big question that you're sitting here wondering is how the hell did this happen and why did this happen? What was the motive? Now, since Miguel's arrest, there have been many people in the public who believe that Miguel was not the only person involved in Faith's death. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that anyone else was involved in the murder, but a lot of people believe that there are multiple people who know what happened and are withholding that information. To think that Miguel is the only person who knew about this for 10 years is hard to believe. However, again, there's very little that we know about this investigation. We don't know how Miguel came in contact with Faith in the first place. There are some reports that have said that Miguel was at the Thrill that night. However, that has not been confirmed. From what we do know, it seems that Miguel had to be watching Faith to some extent, whether that was at the Thrill that night or somewhere along the way, because to think that he was just going door to door, opening apartment doors to see which one would work, that night and then just so happened to run into faith doesn't necessarily seem as likely this was not a robbery gone wrong because there were no items stolen from the apartment from what we do know it seems more realistic that he did cross paths with faith at some point is it possible she rejected him at the thrill and then he followed them home? Is it possible that he saw Karina and Faith walk home that night and decided to follow them to see where they were going? There's just a lot more questions and answers in this case. In terms of the note on the paper bag, we have no answers as to what that could have meant. Again, there is a, not a lot of information that's been released to the public, so we don't know if Miguel has sent over a handwriting sample to see if it was even Miguel who wrote the note to begin with. We just, we don't know. 
the way that I process the I'm not stupid bitch jealous note is it makes sense in my mind if Faith had rejected Miguel somewhere along the road on that night or prior. That is something that is very direct and very intentional and has meaning behind it. You don't just write that on a note just for it to mean nothing. That note means something. So I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about the note as well as what you guys have to say about this case in general. However, with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you are not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys and until then stay safe. Bye guys.